looking at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We're a little late today, but it was worth it to hear Sister Rachel. I know Harold already cut a number out, but it was a blessing to hear her share her missions trip. And uh, it's just been a blessing to be here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I mean, I've entitled this The Results of Pentecost. The Results of Pentecost. And I don't know how much time we'll have. I'm just going to preach to you and try and get done at a reasonable hour. But, uh, you know, we think about Pentecost and what happened afterwards. And in our lives, after the Holy Spirit saves, God saves us, the Holy Spirit regenerates us, there needs to be some results. And we'll look at these great results of Pentecost. Luke, remember, builds us a bridge from the Gospels to the Epistles. Scripture's broken down into groups, and the Gospels are clearly the history of the life of Christ. And the Epistles are all for the church. Romans to Revelation are called the church Epistles. In between is this little book of Acts, which bridges the two. And Acts is a bridge book as well between the church and the synagogue. Remember, they were still going to the synagogue. The church had been started, and they were doing both till they finally were kicked out of the synagogue. It's also a bridge book uh, connecting the uh, law, law to grace, connecting law to grace. And so we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, and she, you show, let's stand. I know that's the tradition here. I'm sorry. I, I still have to get used to it. I've been doing this two years, and I still forget. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Witnesses. That's the key. If you're really uh, following God and his powers on your life, you're going to be a witness for God. Ye shall be witnesses. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. We pray for you to just bless us tonight. We need you. Help us to apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And after Pentecost, Pentecost several great things happened. Of course, the church was empowered at Pentecost. The church was envisioned in the Old Testament. The, the, the children in the wilderness and the congregation in the wilderness empowered at Pentecost, commissioned in the upper room. And we know that we, we have church membership. A lot of churches have a church membership. Some churches don't have a membership. But Acts 2, 41 and 47 says they were added to the church daily, those that were saved and baptized. In Acts chapter 18, they sent letters recommending brethren when they went to other churches. So there's a lot of church stuff that really we, we learn from the book of Acts. But after this great verse, and we look at verse 1, let's break this verse down. The word power, you know, is the word dynamite. Dynamos, our word dynamite. They were empowered when the Holy Ghost came upon them. And there were witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, and I quoted it wrong, Jerusalem, and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But you shall be witnesses. I quoted the first half. But notice here uh, the, the fact that they had great power. You shall receive power. And, and of course, we, we know this was verse, verse 7 talks about uh, his power. Verse 8, his power. And we say this was great power. Dynamite. Certainly that's great power. But they had, they had this power in going for God. In going for God. Now turn to chapter 4 and verse 33. Chapter 4 and verse 33. We're talking about the word great. We're going to look at eight different places. We're going to move brief, as quickly as possible. But here we find again in Acts 4.33 the word great. The great power, Acts 4.33 is our first stop. It says here, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. So the first thing they had is great power. We read in Acts 1.8 about the power of God. And of course the word great here is a word you know. It's the word mega. You heard about the mega millions? That's the word. 
Seven of these times, we'll look at the word great as the word mega. The other times, a different word we'll explain when we get there. But here's the word great in verse 33 of chapter 4. The result of Pentecost, first of all, they had great power. We found that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. They had power in going into all the world to preach the gospel, to go in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Then notice verse 34 here. We find here great grace, great grace in giving and governing, 434. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and, the, and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according to his need. So here we had great grace uh, and God gave them this great power in the last line in verse 33 and great grace was upon them all. We had great power, we had great grace. Great, the word mega, both times here in verse 33. And the word power, you know to be the word dynamite. The word grace is the word cherish. We know about charitable organizations. And so they had great power and great grace in giving and going and governing. And boy, we need those things in the church. The word witness. When they're witnesses, it's another word you're familiar with. It's the word martyrs. We get our word martyr from it. Now, why is the Greek word martyr translated witness? Because everyone in that day who put their faith in Jesus Christ was a martyr. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't be a witness for Christ without being a martyr. Jews were persecuted terribly when they trusted Christ. So we have here great power. We have here great grace. Then look at chapter 5 and verse 5 and verse 11. We have great fear. Again, the word mega is the word great. You can mark that. Chapter 5 and verse 5. You know the story. Ananias and Sapphira claimed to have given more than they gave. And, and had, they, had they really given what they said they gave they, and, and bragged about it, they'd lose the reward. But they, they acted like they gave something and they didn't. And what happened to them? They were killed. And look at verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. Ralph Carlyle said, fear of God is a good thing. And it is. When we fear God, that's a good thing. The Bible tells us to fear God. Now, when we're living right, we don't have to fear because God's going to bless us. But when we're doing the wrong thing, what happens? God chastens us. And this word fear is another word you know. It's the word phobos or word phobia. You know what a phobia is. I can't get up on a ladder very high anymore. I'm very much afraid. When I was a young kid, I'd jump off my dad's roof onto the ground below. Maybe 10 feet didn't seem to bother me. Now I get up 10 feet on a ladder and I'm looking down thinking, boy, I sure don't want to fall. <laughs> I'm hanging on. And uh, I have fallen a couple times, but uh, and God's blessed and taking care of me. But here's great fear. Why are they afraid? Because they saw God deal with a man that had lied to God, lied to the Holy Spirit. Great fear. And uh, I said, J.C. Ryle said this, fear of God's a good thing, but all other fear is cowardly. You know, in Revelation, the different words used, but it says cowards will have their place in hell. The fearful will go to hell. And so fear is not a good thing in life. You don't need to live in fear. You live by faith. But when you're not right with God, you had better be shaking in your boots because that's a phobia and, and we need to fear. And certainly they did fear. <laughs> My pages are blowing here. I don't know. This air conditioner is possessed by the devil. <clears throat> and... Uh, so we're looking at chapter 5, then drop down to verse 11. Again, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. So the, how God dealt with, these, with Ananias and Sapphira, that fear spread through the church. 
And I'd imagine the giving was great in the next few weeks, maybe for a long time, because I thought we better give what the Lord leads us to give because God's going to kill us. And, and uh, in, in today's church, God doesn't operate quite that way. We don't have people drop dead because they violate the Lord's Supper or don't give what they say they give. But certainly in the early church, the results of Pentecost, a great power, great grace, great fear. Then chapter 6 and verse 7. Chapter 6 and verse 7, we have here great company. Great company. And the word great here is a different word. This is the one time out of the eight words it's different. The word here is the word polis. We get our word Minneapolis. It means a large number. It's not the word mega here, but here it says a great number of Jewish leaders were saved. Again, the result of Pentecost. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now you think of this. The priests absolutely hated Christians. I mean, you know, all these priests that worked in the temple and here it says a great number of these people were saved. Boy, that's a powerful thing, isn't it? I'd love to see for a great number of people in Washington, D.C. to be saved, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be something? A bunch of them got saved. Wouldn't it be great for Joe Biden to come on at 8 o'clock tomorrow night with a special announcement and say, you know, I've trusted Christ as my Savior and things are going to be different around here. We'd all just be rejoicing uh, and, and that would be a wonderful thing. And We ought to be praying for our president to be saved because they make decisions that uh, affect all of us and affect generation after generation. But here's a great company, a great many of Jewish leaders saved. And the word great, as we said, is the word polis. Then we go to chapter 6 and verse 8, just a couple verses or the next verse. Here we find great wonders and miracles. Great wonders and miracles. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Pastor, what's the difference in wonders and miracles? Well, the word great, of course, again, is the word mega. But here it says Stephen was full of faith and what? Um, faith and power. Again, that's the word dynamite again. Just, just think of a dynamite, how we use the word today. It's so explosive. And try to think about Stephen and his ministry, how explosive he was with this great faith and power. When he preached, scores of people got saved. He had the power of God in his life. And, and here it says... He preached with great power and he did great wonders and miracles. Wonders is something contrary, contrary to nature. So he did things, you know, great contrary to nature. Things like creating and calming storms. storms Jesus did that, remember? Earthquakes, nature, things that would go against nature. Stephen did great wonders. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus did a great wonder. And it's a different word than the word miracles. The word miracles is something contrary to the norm. In fact, 30 times we find that Greek word in the Bible, and 29 times it's translated signs. So these great miracles were signs. They would point to something. Every time Jesus did a miracle, a sign, it pointed to something. We're told in John chapter 2, he did these things to point to the fact that he was deity, that he was God. And so we find here great miracles and wonders by Stephen. Then in chapter 8, you didn't know I could go this fast. Chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Saul was consenting unto his death, referring to Stephen. 
And at the same time, there was a great persecution against the church. Great persecution. We're great again as mega. The word persecution actually has what has to do with stress and, and uh, pressure. And uh, it includes, of course, in that day, it includes all kinds of uh, means, vicious things they did to Christians. And the word Stephen is an interesting word. The word Stephanos means crown or wreath. And when they ran in the games, they'd be, they would win a game and they'd get a, a crown or a wreath because it was so enduring. Those games back then were so difficult. In fact, marathons didn't begin in America. They began way back in Greece. We know that. And the word marathon's actually named at the original where a messenger actually ran 24 point something miles. And the city of Marathon was involved in that. I forgot the history on that. But here the word Stephanos is a crown or wreath. And it's given to people who suffer greatly to win their crown. I remember one preacher said this years ago, maybe I read it in a book, don't remember where, but you'll never get a diadem unless you've had a Stephanos. You know, a diadem is a crown of glory, isn't it? But what's a Stephanos? A crown of suffering. Stephen was martyred for his faith. And Christians all the time, they want, boy, they want to get to heaven. All of us want to get to heaven and be rewarded. I want to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We all want that. But let me tell you something, you'll never get a crown of diamond. You'll never get a reward unless you've been willing to suffer for Jesus Christ. It's actually kind of hard for us sometimes to suffer as Americans with all we have and the blessings we have. But we need to be willing to suffer. And when we complain about it, the Bible said there's actually a crown given to people who suffer and handle it well, who endure trials. It's translated temptations in James. So for those of you that have suffered and, and handle it well, your attitude is, is right. There's a special blessing for you, a special crown. But none of us will be rewarded by God unless we're willing to suffer in this life. Now, our sufferings normally physical pain. We don't have a lot of persecution in the church today. I believe there's going to be a time in the end of days just before the rapture where it's going to get really bad. They've talked about hate speech laws, hate speech laws, which would apply to churches who preach against things. And uh, a bunch of us may be carted off to jail someday for preaching against sin. I will always preach against sins that are labeled and listed in the Bible. If I don't do that, I'm not worth a penny. I'm not worth anything. So we'll have to preach against sin. And if our country says it's hate speech to say sodomy is wrong or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll just keep preaching it. And uh, so here, this great persecution, the word persecution actually means to cause someone to flee. It's an interesting word because the only way to escape persecution is run away. I love Stephen. He wasn't going to run away. He preached. He died for it. I love Paul. They threw Paul, Peter and Paul, they threw these guys in prison and say, you cannot, Peter, you cannot preach again. And what was his response? He said to everyone, I'm going to obey God rather than man. And so here, this, this idea of persecution and Philip, uh, of course, persecution helped the church greatly because chapter eight, we, we see the great persecution and look what it says against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Persecution, which means to, to, uh, to scatter or to flee, 
What did it do for the church? It helped the church. Because they were persecuted, they spread all over and churches popped up all over. Churches back then weren't like today. There were many in a city because people didn't have automobiles. If you got mad at the preacher, you, you couldn't travel 15 miles by foot to another house church. You learned to reconcile. And so they had these little churches all over the cities. And, and they were in houses. They were small. It wasn't, it wasn't such a thing as mega churches with gymnasiums and you know, all that stuff. I'm not knocking that. I, I'm glad we want to grow numerically and, and maybe one day we'll fill this place up. That's what I would desire and you would as well. But the early church, they'd meet in houses. Persecution would come their way. They'd scatter, start in other houses and spread all over. It was amazing. These churches were small, but yet strong spiritually. I don't know, uh, how to say this, but I would rather have a hundred really committed Christians than 500 lazy bums. Was that nice enough? You know, anybody can sit in a pew, but to witness for Jesus and to work for Jesus and suffer persecution makes a great church. And a hundred people on fire for God will set the whole community on fire. You won't have to worry about numbers. And so great persecution, persecution is actually helpful for the church. Then great lamentation, verse two, again, the word mega, chapter eight and verse two, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation, great lamentation. It means to mourn as it's translated in Matthew 24. It means to wail. I mean, Stephen died and he meant so much to the church. They just wept and wept and wept. Wasn't the passing of a normal guy. I don't know how many funerals I've gone to and, and you hear the eulogy and you learn about the person. Sometimes I don't know a lot and I don't hear anybody talk about what great things they did for God. And that's always to me puzzling for a Christian. You want to hear someone say he did this or he did that for the Lord. And, and Stephen, you, they didn't have any trouble finding out things they could say about Stephen. He preached, he stood, he was stoned, he didn't compromise. He stood up and preached, and I believe with all my heart, if he knew he was going to die that day, he'd have preached anyway. Because we found that with all these guys. When you think of the, the, the 12 original disciples, Judas, of course, committed suicide, and the other 11, 10 of the 11 were martyrs for God. They, they knew what they were getting into. Only John lived to be an old age. The rest of them were all killed. I think I've actually shared with you how each of them died. But great lamentation. Again, the word mega. Then finally in chapter eight and verse eight, and there was great joy in that city. All these things we looked at were a result of what? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came, empowered that church. They were excited for God and look at all the greatness. Again, mega joy. Joy is, is something we all need in our life. I love... Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, make the choice to rejoice is how I heard that preached years ago. I've never forgotten that. Have an attitude of gratitude, make a choice to rejoice. We make choices every day and our attitude is the choice we make every day when we face circumstances. I have to tell myself, I'm a half empty kind of guy. I can be very negative and I have to constantly remind myself, be positive, say the right thing, you know, uh, be kind. You know, if you're going to a restaurant and everything in the restaurant is awful. Um, and, and just recently I went to a, a, a doctor, a new doctor, really liked the doctor, 
but I've been there three times and all three times the, the nurse was rude to me. And I don't know why. I don't know her. I've never seen her. She just comes in. Put your hands down to your side when you're on that scale. I'm like, okay. Um, I didn't say anything back. And then, you know, Dr. Sarah Hoover here, you remember her. I always called her Dr. Sarah. And when I was here before, she'd say, go into your office. And she'd say, take your coat off. And she'd check my heart and everything, you know. I think you need to get a follow-up on this. And I love Dr. Sarah. And I called her Dr. Sarah. So this doctor's new doctor, my other one retired, and her name's Sarah as well. So I called her Dr. Sarah uh, to the nurse. Dr. Sarah wasn't in there. I says, Dr. Sarah, uh, doing well or something. I don't remember. She, she snapped at me that, do you know her personally? Why are you calling her Sarah? And I called her Dr. Sarah. And so when Dr. Sarah came in, I said, you know, I, I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I referred to you as Dr. Sarah and your nurse wasn't too pleased. She said, don't worry about that. Who, who cares? She said, she must have an issue with that. And I thought, she's got issues, all right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and, and it's, the lady, maybe, here's the way I look at it as a Christian. I know I've never had a conflict with her, so how should I handle this from now on? Remember when people are that way with you, remember something's happened to cause them to be that way. You don't know as a child what she went through. So I make a choice. I can go in there next time, loaded for bear, and just let her have it. Or I can just keep being kind and saying, you know, God, she's got a need here. Years ago, I had an experience with someone who was like that. And I just said, are you okay? I mean, really, are you okay? And the lady broke down and she told me some terrible things that happened to her. And I thought, I'm so glad that I didn't respond to this lady. Because how would Christ respond? You're driving down the road and you make a little mistake and somebody gives you the finger and honks at you and you think, man, that's overreaction. Not for them because they were molested as a child or they're in an abusive relationship or they've just found out they've lost their job. And we're supposed to be compassionate. And so... I have to work hard. You have to work hard. That nurse has to work hard on being joyful because we're commanded to make a choice to rejoice. See, you get up in the morning and, and some of you, I think Sister Jean is not here tonight, always smiles. I'm like, that's not me. You know, years ago, my wife said, well, don't yell at me. I said, I'm not yelling at you. You know, Obviously, we're perceived differently from other people, but we have to work on being joyful. That's so hard. I had a guy in Bible college, Jerry Harrison. He's got twin boys. They're just great people. And Jerry said, praise the Lord about everything. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it used to annoy me. I thought, there's no way he's always praising the Lord. Years later, it convicted me. I thought, well, maybe really he just gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to praise God all day for better, or for worse, and good and bad. And I love that about Jerry. And I need to learn to work on that because I have to learn to be positive. So I have to say to myself, rejoice, be kind, be nice. When I get in my car, you know how we get in the car, we think we're in a tank. Don't mess with me. I'm ready for, you know, I'm ready to shoot. And we think we own the road. And we think everyone else violates the rules but us. If you're tailgating, it's because that guy's going too slow. If somebody else is tailgating, he's wrong. You know, we have this attitude. And so I have to say in the morning to myself, 
what kind of a driver am I going to be? And I, I pray while I drive, Lord, help me not to kill this person. I don't really think about killing them. Help me, Lord, to be joyful. Be joyful because we don't know what the other person's been through. And uh, so my question to you is, what are the results of the Holy Spirit in your life? After Pentecost, we see all this greatness, great joy. All these things we listed, great grace, great fear, which was necessary, great power in their lives. But if you've been saved, there ought to be some things in your life that are great. Ask your spouse what they respect about you or what they don't respect about you. And don't get upset if they answer you a little different than you expected them to answer. But we have to be spirit-filled Christians. And if that's the case, there'll be some mega, some greatness in our lives. And when people meet us and see us at church, they'll think, you know, it's a joy to be around that person because of this or because of that. Maybe, maybe we all need to be servants in a great way. Encouragers in a great way. Maybe great in your giving. Maybe great during the week by writing cards and calling people. And uh, I've had two people this week say they got cards from people. It was so nice. And I'm glad to hear that. But we can be great because the Lord's in our life. And I want his spirit to reign in my life and to be great in my walk for him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we just close in a simple hymn, we all want to be great. We want to be mega stars, Lord. We want to have a dynamite life. We want to be able to have a life of great witnessing and fear of you and great joy. And Lord, we will lament when we lose a loved one who's meant something spiritually. But help us, Lord, to understand the importance of being great for you as a result of the little miniature Pentecost that took place in our hearts when we got saved. Bless now in Jesus' name.